0: Chapter Six of The People that Time Forgot. This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ralph Snelson. The People that Time Forgot by Edgar Rice Burroughs, Chapter Six. After dinner I rolled a cigarette and stretched myself at ease upon a pile of furs before the doorway, with Ajor's head pillowed in my lap, and a feeling of great content pervading me. It was the first time since my plane had topped the barrier cliffs of Kaspak that I had felt any sense of peace or security. My hand wandered to the velvet cheek of the girl I had claimed as mine, and to her luxuriant hair and the golden fillet which bound it close to her shapely head her slender fingers groping upward sought mine and drew them to her lips and then i gathered her in my arms and crushed her to me smothering her mouth with a long long kiss it was the first time that passion had tinged my intercourse with ajor we were alone and the hut was ours until morning but now from beyond the palisade in the direction of the main gate came the hallooing of men and the answering calls and queries of the guard. We listened. Returning hunters, no doubt. We heard them enter the village amidst the barking dogs. I have forgotten to mention the dogs of Krolu. The village swarmed with them, gaunt, wolf-like creatures that guarded the herd by day when it grazed without the palisade. Ten dogs to a cow by night the cows were herded in an outer enclosure roofed against the onslaughts of the carnivorous cats and the dogs with the exception of a few were brought into the village these few well-tested brutes remained with the herd during the day they fed plentifully upon the beasts of prey which they killed in protection of the herd so that their keep amounted to nothing at all shortly after the commotion at the gate had subsided ajor and i arose to enter the hut and at the same time a warrior appeared from one of the twisted alleys, which, lying between the irregularly placed huts and groups of huts, formed the streets of the Krolu village. The fellow halted before us and addressed me, saying that Altan desired my presence at his hut. The wording of the invitation and the manner of the messenger threw me entirely off my guard, so cordial was the one and respectful the other, and the result was that I went willingly, telling Ajor that I would return presently. I had laid my arms and ammunition aside as soon as we had taken over the hut, and I left them with Ajor now, as I had noticed that aside from their hunting knives, the men of Krolu bore no weapons about the village streets. There was an atmosphere of peace and security within that village that I had not hoped to experience within Kaspak and after what I had passed through it must have cast a numbing spell over my faculties of judgment and reason. I had eaten of the lotus flower of safety. Dangers no longer threatened, for they had ceased to be. The messenger led me through the labyrinthine alleys to an open plaza near the center of the village. At one end of this plaza was a long hut, much the largest that I had yet seen, before the door of which were many warriors i could see that the interior was lighted and that a great number of men were gathered within the dogs about the plaza were as thick as fleas and those i approached closely evinced a strong desire to devour me their noses evidently apprising them of the fact that i was of an alien race since they paid no attention whatever to my companion once inside the council hut for such it appeared to be i found a large concourse of warriors seated or rather squatted, around the floor. At one end of the oval space, which the warriors left down the center of the room, stood Altan, and another warrior whom I immediately recognized as a Galu. And then I saw that there were many Galus present. About the walls were a number of flaming torches stuck in holes in a clay plaster, which evidently served the purpose of preventing the inflammable wood and grasses of which the hut was composed from being ignited by the flames lying about among the warriors, or wandering restlessly to and fro, were a number of savage dogs. The warriors eyed me curiously as I entered, especially the galus, and then I was conducted into the center of the group and led forward toward Altan. As I advanced I felt one of the dogs sniffing at my heels, and of a sudden a great brute leaped upon my back. As I turned to thrust it aside before its fangs found a hold upon me, I beheld a huge Airedale leaping frantically about me. The grinning jaws, the half-closed eyes, the back-laid ears spoke to me louder than might the words of man that here was no savage enemy but a joyous friend. And then I recognized him, and fell to one knee and put my arms about his neck, while he whined and cried with joy. It was Nobbs, dear old Nobbs, Bowen Tyler's Nobbs, who had loved me next to his master. Where is the master of this dog? I asked, turning toward Altan the chieftain inclined his head toward the Galu standing at his side. He belongs to Dusin the Galu, he replied. He belongs to Bowen J. Tyler Jr. of Santa Monica. I retorted, and I want to know where his master is. The Galu shrugged. The dog is mine, he said. he came to me course vajo, and he is unlike any dog in Caspak being kind and docile, and yet a killer when aroused. I would not part with him. I do not know the man of whom you speak. So this was Du Seen. This was the man from whom Ajor had fled. I wondered if he knew that she was here. I wondered if they had sent for me because of her. But after they had commenced to question me, my mind was relieved. They did not mention Ajor their interest seemed centred upon the strange world from which i had come my journey to caspak and my intentions now that i had arrived i answered them frankly as i had nothing to conceal and assured them that my only wish was to find my friends and return to my own country in the galu ducine and his warriors i saw something of the explanation of the term golden race which is applied to them for their ornaments and weapons were either wholly of beaten gold, or heavily decorated with the precious metal. They were a very imposing set of men, tall and straight and handsome. About their heads were bands of gold, like that which Ajor wore, and from their left shoulders depended the leopard-tails of the Galus. In addition to the deerskin tunic which constituted the major portion of their apparel, each carried a light blanket of barbaric yet beautiful design, the first evidence of weaving I had seen in Caspak. Ajor had had no blanket, having lost it during her flight from the attentions of Ducine, nor was she so heavily encrusted with gold as these male members of her tribe. The audience must have lasted fully an hour when Altan signified that I might return to my hut. All the time Nobs had lain quietly at my feet, but the instant that I turned to leave he was up and after me. Ducine called to him, but the terrier never even so much as looked in his direction. I had almost reached the doorway leading from the council hall when Altan rose and called after me. "'Stop!' he shouted. "'Stop, stranger! The beast of Dusine, the Galu, follows you.' "'The dog is not Dusine's," I replied. "'He belongs to my friend, as I told you.' and he prefers to stay with me until his master is found. And I turned again to resume my way. I had taken but a few steps when I heard a commotion behind me, and at the same moment a man leaned close and whispered, "Kazar" close to my ear. "Kazar," the Caspakian equivalent of beware. It was Tomar. As he spoke he turned quickly away as though loath to have others see that he knew me, and at the same instant I wheeled to discover Dusin striding rapidly after me. Altan followed him, and it was evident that both were angry. Ducine, a weapon half-drawn, approached truculently. The beast is mine, he reiterated. Would you steal him? He is not yours nor mine, I replied, and I am not stealing him. If he wishes to follow you, he may. I will not interfere. But if he wishes to follow me, he shall, nor shall you prevent. I turned to Altan. Is not that fair? I demanded. Let the dog choose his master. Ducine, without waiting for Altan's reply, reached for Nobbs and grasped him by the scruff of the neck. I did not interfere, for I guessed what would happen, and it did. With a savage growl, Nobbs turned like lightning upon the Galu, wrenched loose from his hold and leaped for his throat. The man stepped back and warded off the first attack with a heavy blow of his fist, immediately drawing his knife with which to meet the Airedale's return. And Nobs would have returned all right had not I spoken to him. In a low voice I called to him to heal. For just an instant he hesitated, standing there trembling and with bared fangs glaring at his foe. But he was well trained and had been out with me quite as much as he had been with Bowen. In fact, I had had most to do with his early training, Then he walked slowly and very stiff-legged to his place behind me. Dusin, red with rage, would have had it out with the two of us had not Altan drawn him to one side and whispered in his ear, upon which with a grunt the Galu walked straight back to the opposite end of the hall, while Nobs and I continued upon our way toward the hut and Ajor. As we passed out into the village plaza I saw Shalaz. We were so close to one another that I could have reached out and touched him and our eyes met, but though I greeted him pleasantly and paused to speak to him, he brushed past me without a sign of recognition. I was puzzled at his behavior, and then I recalled that Tomar, though he had warned me, had appeared not to wish to seem friendly with me. I could not understand their attitude, and was trying to puzzle out some sort of explanation when the matter was suddenly driven from my mind by the report of a firearm instantly I broke into a run, my brain in a whirl of forebodings, for the only firearms in the Krolu country were those I had left in the hut with Ajor. That she was in danger I could not but fear, as she was now something of an adept in the handling of both the pistol and rifle, a fact which largely eliminated the chance that the shot had come from an accidentally discharged firearm. When I left the hut I had felt that she and I were safe among friends, No thought of danger was in my mind, but since my audience with Altan, the presence and bearing of Dusin, and the strange attitude of both Tomar and Shalaz, had each contributed toward arousing my suspicions, and now I ran along the narrow winding alleys of the Krolu village with my heart fairly in my mouth. I am endowed with an excellent sense of direction, which has been greatly perfected by the years I have spent in the mountains and upon the plains and deserts of my native state, so that it was with little or no difficulty that I found my way back to the hut in which I had left Ajor. As I entered the doorway I called her name aloud. There was no response. I drew a box of matches from my pocket and struck a light, and as the flame flared up a half-dozen brawny warriors leaped upon me from as many directions but even in the brief instant that the flare lasted I saw that Ajor was not within the hut, and that my arms and ammunition had been removed. As the six men leaped upon me an angry growl burst from behind them. I had forgotten Nobs. Like a demon of hate he sprang among those Krolu fighting men, tearing, rending, ripping with his long tusks and his mighty jaws. They had me down in an instant, and it goes without saying that the six of them could have kept me there had it not been for nobs but while i was struggling to throw them off nobs was springing first upon one and then upon another of them until they were so put to it to preserve their hides and their lives from him that they could give me only a small part of their attention one of them was assiduously attempting to strike me on the head with his stone hatchet but i caught his arm and at the same time turned over upon my belly after which it took but an instant to get my feet under me and rise suddenly as i did so i kept a grip upon the man's arm carrying it over one shoulder then i leaned suddenly forward and hurled my antagonist over my head to a hasty fall at the opposite side of the hut in the dim light of the interior i saw that nobbs had already accounted for one of the others one who lay very quiet upon the floor while the four remaining upon their feet were striking at him with knives and hatchets running to one side of the man i had just put out of the fighting i seized his hatchet and knife and in another moment was in the thick of the argument i was no match for these savage warriors with their own weapons and would soon have gone down to ignominious defeat and death had it not been for Nobs, who alone was a match for the four of them i never saw any creature so quick upon its feet as was that great airedale nor such frightful ferocity as he manifested in his attacks it was as much the latter as the former which contributed to the undoing of our enemies who accustomed though they were to the ferocity of terrible creatures seemed awed by the sight of this strange beast from another world battling at the side of his equally strange master yet they were no cowards and only by teamwork did nobs and i overcome them at last we would rush for a man simultaneously and as knobs leaped for him upon one side i would strike at his head with a stone hatchet from the other as the last man went down i heard the running of many feet approaching us from the direction of the plaza to be captured now would mean death yet i could not attempt to leave the village without first ascertaining the whereabouts of ajor and releasing her if she were held a captive that i could escape the village i was not at all sure but of one thing I was positive, that it would do neither Ajor nor myself any service to remain where I was and be captured. So with Nobs, bloody but happy, following at heel, I turned down the first alley and slunk away in the direction of the northern end of the village. Friendless and alone, hunted through the dark labyrinths of this savage community, I seldom have felt more helpless than at that moment yet far transcending any fear which i may have felt for my own safety was my concern for that of ajor what fate had befallen her where was she and in whose power that i should live to learn the answers to these queries i doubted but that i should face death gladly in the attempt of that i was certain and why with all my concern for the welfare of my friends who had accompanied me to caprona and of my best friend of all bowen j Tyler jr i never yet had experienced the almost paralyzing fear for the safety of any other creature which now threw me alternately into a fever of despair and into a cold sweat of apprehension as my mind dwelt upon the fate on one bit of half-savage femininity of whose very existence even i had not dreamed a few short weeks before what was this hold she had upon me Was I bewitched that my mind refused to function sanely, and that judgment and reason were dethroned by some mad sentiment which I steadfastly refused to believe was love? I had never been in love. I was not in love now. The very thought was preposterous. How could I, Thomas Billings, the right-hand man of the late Bowen J. Tyler, Sr., one of America's foremost captains of industry, and the greatest man in California, be in love with a—a— The word stuck in my throat. Yet by my own American standards, Ajor could be nothing else. At home, for all her beauty, for all her delicately tinted skin, little Ajor, by her apparel, by the habits and customs and manners of her people, by her life, would have been classed a squaw. Tom Billings in love with a squaw, I shuddered at the thought and then there came to my mind in a sudden brilliant flash upon the screen of recollection the picture of ajor as i had last seen her and i lived again the delicious moment in which we had clung to one another lips smothering lips as i left her to go to the council hall of altan and i could have kicked myself for the snob and the cad that my thoughts had proven me me who had always prided myself that i was neither the one nor the other these things ran through my mind as nobs and i made our way through the dark village the voices and footsteps of those who sought us still in our ears these and many other things nor could i escape the incontrovertible fact that the little figure round which my recollections and my hopes entwined themselves was that of ajor beloved barbarian my reveries were broken in upon by a hoarse whisper from the black interior of a hut past which we were making our way my name was called in a low voice and a man stepped out beside me as i halted with raised knife it was Chalaz. quick he warned in here it is my hut and they will not search it i hesitated recalled his attitude of a few minutes before and as though he had read my thoughts he said quickly I could not speak to you in the plaza without danger of arousing suspicions which would prevent me aiding you later, for word had gone out that Altan had turned against you and would destroy you. This was after Seen the Galu arrived. I followed him into the hut, and with knobs at our heels we passed through several chambers into a remote and windowless apartment where a small lamp sputtered in its unequal battle with the inky darkness. A hole in the roof permitted the smoke from burning oil egress. Yet the atmosphere was far from lucid. Here, Chalaz motioned me to a seat upon a furry hide spread upon the earthen floor. "I am your friend," he said. "You saved my life, and I am no ingrate, as is the Batu Al Tan. I will serve you, and there are others here who will serve you against Al Tan and this renegade Galu Dusine." "'But where is Ajor?' I asked, for I cared little for my own safety while she was in danger. "'Ajor is safe too,' he answered. We learned the designs of Altan and Dusin. The latter, learning that Ajor was here, demanded her, and Altan promised that he should have her, but when the warriors went to get her, Tomar went with them. Ajor tried to defend herself, She killed one of the warriors, and then Tomar picked her up in his arms when the others had taken her weapons from her. He told the others to look after the wounded man who was really already dead, and to seize you upon your return, and that he, Tomar, would bear Ajor to Altan. But instead of bearing her to Altan, he took her to his own hut, where she now is with Soal, Tomar's she. It all happened very quickly." Tomar and I were in the council hut when Dusin attempted to take the dog from you. I was seeking Tomar for this work. He ran out immediately and accompanied the warriors to your hut, while I remained to watch what went on within the council hut, and to aid you if you needed aid. What has happened since you know. I thanked him for his loyalty, and then asked him to take me to Ajor, but he said that it could not be done, as the village streets were filled with searchers. In fact, we could hear them passing to and fro among the huts, making inquiries, and at last Chalaz thought it best to go to the doorway of his dwelling, which consisted of many huts joined together, lest they enter and search. Chalaz was absent for a long time, several hours which seemed an eternity to me. All sounds of pursuit had long since ceased." and I was becoming uneasy because of his protracted absence when I heard him returning through the other apartments of his dwelling. He was perturbed when he entered that in which I awaited him, and I saw a worried expression upon his face. "'What is wrong?' I asked. "'Have they found Ajor?' "'No,' he replied, "'but Ajor has gone. She learned that you had escaped them, and was told that you had left the village, believing that she had escaped too.' Soal could not detain her. She made her way out over the top of the palisade, armed with only her knife. Then I must go, I said, rising. Nobs rose and shook himself. He had been dead asleep when I spoke. Yes, agreed Chalaz, you must go at once. It is almost dawn. Do leaves at daylight to search for her. He leaned close to my ear and whispered, There are many to follow and help you altan has agreed to aid usine against the galus of jor but there are many of us who have combined to rise against altan and prevent this ruthless desecration of the laws and customs of the kro lu and of caspak we will rise as luata has ordained that we shall rise and only thus no batu may win to the estate of a galu by treachery and force of arms while shalaz lives and may wield a heavy blow and a sharp spear with true Krolus at his back. I hope that I may live to aid you, I replied. If I had my weapons and my ammunition I could do much. Do you know where they are? No, he said. They have disappeared. And then? Wait! You cannot go forth half-armed, and garbed as you are. You are going into the Galu country, and you must go as a Galu. Come." and without waiting for a reply he led me into another apartment or to be more explicit another of the several huts which formed his cellular dwelling here was a pile of skins weapons and ornaments remove your strange apparel said chalaz and i will fit you out as a true galu i have slain several of them in the raids of my early days as a krolu and here are their trappings i saw the wisdom of his suggestion and as my clothes were by now so ragged as to but half conceal my nakedness i had no regrets in laying them aside stripped to the skin i donned the red deerskin tunic the leopard tail the golden fillet armlets and leg ornaments of a galu with the belt scabbard and knife the shield spear bow and arrow and the long rope which i learned now for the first time is the distinctive weapon of the galu warrior it is a rawhide rope not dissimilar to those of the western plains and cow camps of my youth the honda is a golden oval and accurate weight for the throwing of the noose this heavy honda has explained is used as a weapon being thrown with great force and accuracy at an enemy and then coiled in for another cast in hunting and in battle they use both the noose and the honda if several warriors surround a single foeman or quarry they rope it with the noose from several sides, but a single warrior against a lone antagonist will attempt to brain his foe with the metal oval. I could not have been more pleased with any weapon, short of a rifle, which he could have found for me, since I have been adept with the rope from early childhood, but I must confess that I was less favorably inclined toward my apparel. in so far as the sensation was concerned, I might as well have been entirely naked, so short and light was the tunic. When I asked Chalaz for the Caspakian name for rope, he told me ga, and for the first time I understood the derivation of the word "galu," which means rope-man. Entirely outfitted, I would not have known myself, so strange was my garb and my armament. Upon my back were slung my bow, arrows, shield, and short spear. From the center of my girdle depended my knife, At my right hip was my stone hatchet, and at my left hung the coils of my long rope. By reaching my right hand over my left shoulder I could seize the spear or arrows. My left hand could find my bow over my right shoulder, while a veritable contortionist act was necessary to place my shield in front of me and upon my left arm. The shield, long and oval, is utilized more as a back armor than as a defense against frontal attack for the close-set armlets of gold upon the left forearm are principally depended upon to ward off knife, spear, hatchet, or arrow from in front, but against the greater carnivora and the attacks of several human antagonists the shield is utilized to its best advantage and carried by loops upon the left arm. Fully equipped except for a blanket, I followed Chalaz from his domicile into the dark and deserted alleys of Krolu silently we crept along nobs silent at heel toward the nearest portion of the palisade here Chalaz bade me farewell telling me that he hoped to see me soon among the galus as he felt that the call soon would come to him i thanked him for his loyal assistance and promised that whether i reached the galu country or not i should always stand ready to repay his kindness to me and that he could count on me in the revolution against Al-Tam chapter six